Welcome back. This is Nature of Business, and I am your host, Chrissy Coughlin. Thank you for joining us this Thursday afternoon. We have with us now Holly Fowler. She's a Senior Director of Sustainability and Corporate Social Responsibility for Sodexo North America. She leads Sodexo's sustainability initiatives and innovation by leveraging the company's expertise and experience in serving more than 10,000 individual sites across North America. Through effective employee engagement, the work that that Holly does at Sodexo and its clients to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and energy use to conserve water resources to minimize waste generation and to promote sustainable agriculture and community development. Welcome, Holly. How are you? Hi, Christy. That was a mouthful. Good to be with you. Yeah, it was. It was Thank a mouthful. You for that introduction. Yeah, no problem. I um, I, I you know, I know that you're going to explain further, uh, kind of what you're doing day to day. But I thought it would be good for people to get an idea of uh, sort of what you're doing there. And it's a big job, and you've you've been there for for quite some time now. So you really uh, certainly understand the the culture of Sodexo as as large as it is. So. Before we delve into like the larger discussion here of sustainability at Sodexo, um, let's hear a little bit about your background and what's led up to your current position. Sure. So um, thanks again for having me on the show. It's always great to be able to share this conversation with others. Um, as for my background, it's not necessarily a traditional path to sustainability. I grew up in Maine uh, with Acadia National Park as my backyard. And oh. I I suppose that that really helped me to develop an early appreciation for conservation, as well as the people and communities that rely on the land and certainly the ocean for their livelihood. I studied liberal arts at Bowdoin College in Maine, which its entire mission is about contributing to the common good. Mm -hmm. And then I lived in France for uh, three years in my 20s, and I decided to enter the corporate world in 1999. I found a very unique position in Sodexo's global education market, and that kind of gave me this broad exposure to what was happening in a lot of different places of the world, and through that, I started to see, you know, different emerging issues that we would highlight in our work, and there was drought in Australia, there were escalating food allergies that really couldn't be explained in Scandinavia, childhood obesity was on the rise everywhere. And I just became really interested to uh, focus on sustainability as part of my work at Sodexo. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the sustainability has obviously um, come a long way, and we talk a lot about it on this show, just about what, what people are doing within companies. And compared to, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it's, it's quite, there is quite a difference. Um, and a lot of people are impacted by your work. Give us an idea of how, of sort of the day-to-day -day of Holly Fowler. I know that there no day is the same, but give us an idea of what you're doing at Sodexo. So my uh, primary space is practice. So that, that means for us specifically what we do, what our managers do at all of the different sites that we operate. And just to give you kind of a context, uh, our sustainability strategy at Sodexo globally is known as the Better Tomorrow Plan. Mm -hmm. And within that, we are really focused on this intersection of the environment, nutrition, health, and wellness, and local communities. So trying to embed the understanding of how those topics relate to one another when you have 130,000 employees in North America, which is the, the scope of my responsibility, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, that large number of sites that, that you mentioned, and it's a, it's a broad group. These are corporate offices, these are colleges, they, they're schools, healthcare facilities, and government institutions, which all have 
a diverse approach and interest in this space as well. So mm-hmm. helping to educate all of our employees about the best practices that they could be doing at any of these sites and working through that conversation with their clients to align strategy is a little bit of the, the day to day. Okay. We, we have this huge responsibility of uh, how we source food and other supplies, how we manage the energy, water, and waste at client locations, and then how we influence decision-making both upstream with our suppliers and downstream with our clients and customers. So it's, it's helping to negotiate all of those conversations and mm-hmm. influence uh, folks to act in ways that are going to have a more sustainable result. Right. Now, how long has the Better Tomorrow Plan been in, been in place? So the strategic development of it started, it seems like a, a long time ago, <laughs> but our public launch of the commitment uh, occurred in October of 2009. Okay. Okay. So a few years now. Yeah. And and has it come, how, how, what's your feeling on how it's sort of come since its inception to, let's say, you know, right now or in 2013 in general? Is it evolving? <laughs> it continues <laughs> to evolve. Uh, it, it's challenging. It's a rapidly moving space. Right. And it continues to evolve. Our definitions continue to evolve. Yeah. And we have to be flexible in this space because more information becomes available all the time and we're learning more. And so we are continuous active learners and that means we have to be adaptable and flexible with the strategy as well. Mm -hmm. And do you find that the employees that you have direct contact with, do you find that they, um, are they on board or is there any pushback internally that you see? We we benefit from a lot of pull actually. Mm -hmm. We benefit from having a, a lot of customers and clients who are also very interested and engaged around these topics. Yeah. And we, I feel like because I have the most direct contact with the operators in our client locations, I do feel like there's a large pull from them. There's a sincere interest and authenticity to um, do more in their work to provide for a more sustainable future. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is good stuff. Um, okay, so let's, let's move on to um, food production and, and procurement, distribution, and consumption. All, all of these issues around the food cycle are are ridiculously complex. Um, what what trends are you are you seeing in in the food systems, both globally and in North America? And what are some of the biggest challenges? So uh, to say it is it is ridiculously complex is almost an understatement, right. um, if that's possible. <laughs> so you know we have to consider farm economics, logistics such as the storage and transportation, and then of course the consumer behavior and preferences. Um, as you know, along with a whole host of other contributing factors, mm-hmm. um, and food, right, is increasingly at the center of all of these conversations because it concerns energy, water, waste, public health, and the economy. So, I think the you know the challenges are in the areas of transparency and accessibility. Mm-hmm. People want to know who grew their food, where, how it was produced. And we don't necessarily have the full spectrum or robust sophisticated systems to deliver the required traceability mm-hmm. that the consumer is asking for. And so that's that's a challenge I think in the in the in the food system in general. And the the trends of course are if anyone's reading the, the, the newspaper these days, there's an increased interest in GMOs or yeah. any kind of 
any kind of alteration that's occurring to, to food that's also causing our taste buds to adapt and all of that. Right. There's that, there's then this topic of labeling, right? So again, the, the transparency and labeling of what's in our food so folks can make better decisions. And then there's been some, you know, conversation recently, I think also about the value of certification. So even if it does have a label, can I really trust that label? What does it really mean to me? What's the, the benefit to the producer or to me as the consumer? Right, right. That's something that's really, really um, interesting and, 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 and huge that's going on about just the labeling. And, and I do sometimes buy things and say, I, I really hope this is organic, or I really hope that what they say on this label uh, you know, is really telling the truth. And you, you assume that it is, but you do hear horror stories. It's pretty dramatic to say horror stories. But, you know, you do hear, you know, these negative stories about this. How, do, you, how, do you guys, are you able to, how, do you have a system in place at Sodexo where you can really monitor that, where, where like, no, no, no GMOs, uh, organic versus non-organic, et cetera? The only way to really judge if something is non-GMO is through the USDA organic okay. label mm-hmm. these days. Uh, we do recognize a number of third-party certifications. They're pretty important to our overall sustainability strategy mm-hmm. and how we identify more sustainable food. But I think it is a it is a reality of the food system that um, the further things travel or from the more diverse locations that they come, the more difficult it is to put a specific RFID tag on every tomato right. that says this is the DNA, this is the history of that tomato. We we are not in a place where every individual item that we purchase has its unique identifier for us to know its full history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think hopefully that will change. I mean, I think it will be impossible to tell where everything is coming from, but I'm, I feel like, uh, you know, like you're talking about the local issues. Um, it, more more and more people who I'm, I come in contact with, they just really want to buy local. They just really don't want they want to know exactly where their food is coming from. And there's some real uh, just, just satisfaction that they get knowing that they've helped, you know, a local farmer or they're supporting their community. That's right. I think the, the, the challenge at times with local, though, is that, of course, there's many things that we've become accustomed to having year-round that are not grown locally year-round. And there's also specific products that especially we we love. We love our coffee and our chocolate and bananas, and those are things that just aren't grown um, really in, in North America, for example. And so local is very imprecise at times in its definition because certainly there are many local communities globally that benefit from a good consumer decision to purchase something. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's necessary at times for us to just broaden our awareness of where things grow, the season that they grow in, and and understand that we may have some responsibility in adapting our own behaviors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a really good point. Well, what about the, the, the issue of the ubiquitous issue of food waste. It's something that's getting uh, much more attention these days in the U.S. And um, how, how are we, the, the real problem is how we get people the behavior part. How do we get people to really care about the fact that really, I think it's 25% of our food is not even consumed. It's tossed. Yeah, it's been really interesting to see the topic of food waste uh, grow 
in in getting attention just over the last you know 12 to 18 months i would say just two days ago we saw that epa and usda announced its partnership to reduce u.s food waste Mm -hmm. and all of this you know and part of what is going to be the behavior change depends on the motivation so in some cases this this is motivated by improved awareness that organic matter in landfills produces methane which is a greenhouse gas Mm -hmm. And it's also motivated by interest to cut costs, quite honestly, just by preventing waste. Sure. Um, and then, of course, this challenge of feeding a rapidly growing population with varying degrees of access to fresh, healthy food begs the question of how could we be managing the existing food supply more efficiently? Mm-hmm. And so I think that the behavior change or the initiatives or, you know, will be influenced by what motivates the individual or institution's interest. Is it about cost savings? Is it about greenhouse gas emissions? Is it about social justice and access to food? Mm -hmm. And I think it doesn't necessarily matter where your motivation comes from, so long as you are increasing awareness and taking action that's going to help resolve that issue. Well, I think companies are realizing that if if it, if you are motivated by by the bottom line, that there really is an incredible savings that can take place when you lower, you know, the, you lower your percentage of food waste. Do you... That's right, and it's one of those areas where you can kind of recognize it more immediately. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. if you're going after uh, eco efficiencies in the areas of energy or water systems might require a larger capital investment to get started, mm-hmm. whereas just preventing waste mm-hmm. out of the gate or preventing energy, you know, waste of any kind basically is going to be an immediate saving. Right, right. This is uh, just to build on this sort of the, the personal the personal side of it because I, I I just sort of have a feeling that listeners are like you know I want to I don't I I throw my food down the disposal and I don't know what to do when I have my own waste. It's really a big part of it. Um, they're composting bins, but I think a lot of people feel, you know, unless your community really supports that, then you're just going to end up with a compost bin in your backyard and that's going to, you know, overflow at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Infrastructure is a challenge to this conversation. Although I, I might be in the minority at the moment, but I tend to believe that you know, composting, which happens to be much further actually down the organic waste hierarchy of how to treat waste, right? The first yep. being prevention and then all of these other ways to better donate it to feed people or animals or convert it to energy. Composting is further down the hierarchy. And yet I also look at this uh, against an increasing need to rehabilitate land for agriculture mm-hmm. and growing. I wouldn't be surprised to see composting kind of work its way further up that hierarchy with time mm-hmm. as we find ourselves in more need of ways to help rehabilitate land mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for growing food. And with that may come increased infrastructure. I think, you know, I would love to have a curbside uh, collection for organic waste. It's not the case. I do have a small garden, you know, in, a, in an urban environment. So that provides some outlet for mm-hmm. this type of, of waste. But it's mm-hmm. a real challenge. It's been good, though, to see some, you know, uh, some businesses and organizations starting up, uh, either providing collection services in, in towns and cities 
or some way to help um, individuals to manage that. Mm-hmm. I see more and more of those kind of micro businesses starting up to kind of support the opportunities that are emerging in the space. Yeah, absolutely. And why uh, it's been a while now, but I've had um, Paul Salou on from Harvest Power, and what they're doing with anaerobic digestion is 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 definitely very interesting, particularly in the last you know eighteen months. So hopefully we'll be seeing more companies like like that popping up. So, um, okay, let's move on to behavior because there's a big, big part of what you do um, is really getting into the psyche of, of people with whom you work. And we sort of have touched upon it, but I'd love to hear specific ways you're working on behavioral change at Sodexo, um, both, both internally and externally. And what's, re- what's really working so we have had a lot of success with employee engagement, and I think, you know, it kind of helps when you're starting out with having such a, a broad workforce of kind of interested individuals and then yeah. using them to kind of become that that force and that voice uh, to your external audience. Mm-hmm. And we, we launched a community of practice in 2008, and that was aimed at developing this internal expertise. So it wasn't going to work to just uh, give folks a laundry list of best practices and no idea of how or when to apply them. Right. And so it really begins with that educational piece first. And they have gotten so much out of it. They've recognized so much personal and professional success. I think from their engagement in that community of practice that they have become instrumental in introducing change at their client sites and then engaging others. And they've become trainers as part of our sustainability seminars and um, you know they've been early adopters of our sustainability performance dashboard that mm-hmm. any site can can use to also track progress. And so I think by having a consistent facilitated forum for addressing the issues and this you know really engaged workforce has been instrumental in helping them kind of cascade the message of, the advantages to introducing change and being a leader in this space, and that encourages others to follow, right. basically, right. and to imitate. Does the does the the feedback mechanism internally is how is it set up? Is it web based, where people, if they have an idea or um, possible solution that they they have for a problem, how do they get their ideas to the right people, aka you? <laughs> <laughs> it's a conversation. So at least twice a month, I am. Uh, hosting this conversation with basically anyone who has an interest to be engaged in the conversation internally. Oh, and that's that's a, that's a huge investment, but it's one that's also been very rewarding for, for me. It's, it's our human knowledge management system. Mm-hmm. And it's a great way for folks to ask questions, to get answers, to share successes, to be recognized and rewarded for their leadership. Mm-hmm. And We've also been tracking, we've seen obviously that folks who have participated regularly in that community of practice over the years have trended to um, receive promotions, to get jobs dedicated to sustainability within the company, to have higher profitability at their sites, all of those things that are rewarding both personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's great. I love hearing that, um, that evolution. Uh, so what it, it sort of makes me think about what your team looks like. I mean, you obviously cannot be doing this alone. Who, who, what, is your, what does the team look like at Stuxo? We are, we are very fortunate, uh, a company of our size, to have 
the amount of dedicated personnel that we have. So we have a we have a VP of sustainability. We have three directors level uh, folks. We have um, three uh, support specialists, mm-hmm. and then we also have folks who are dedicated in each of the markets. So if someone is dedicated to sustainability for all of Sodexo's schools division or campus services division um, or corporate offices. Mm-hmm. So we really have you know close to ten full time people at Sodexo working on on this, along with uh, everyone who has this as an informal responsibility of their job. And so are those 10 people leading those sustainability seminars, or is it also people who are, who have just been interested and have taken, taken, taken it on? Both. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. And our clients, increasingly, are part of presenting that as well, because they've, they've experienced some type of success that they're also interested in sharing with their peers or colleagues in another industry, and increasingly they are also part of presenting uh, what the, you know, what the advantages can look like of, of being a leader in this space. Mm-hmm. That's great, and that, that just, uh, it seems a much more natural approach. I'm glad to hear that because it's, it sort of seems as if it would be a real collaboration and not just people in the sustainability world saying this is what we do and what we don't do. It's more of a back and forth conversation internally. Is that kind of right, or? Yeah, it's. I I I think that I really value the fact that we have um, not been afraid to say we don't always have it already all figured out mm-hmm. at Sexo, and to really approach what we do as a collaborative effort with our stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I've I've seen not only within Sexo but also just within this space it work better. Okay. When it's a collaborative approach versus kind of an antagonistic um, approach with folks who ultimately want to achieve the same thing, right? Uh, but might have different may have a different way of going about it that you know could be reconciled mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to keep things faster. Yeah. Well, on the on the uh, topic of collaboration, why don't we move on to partnerships? Um, I'd love to hear um, about a few partnerships that you are particularly excited about um, and tell us why these 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 partnerships and collaborations are so critical as the world population grows as we know at such an exponent exponential pace sure um, so we have definitely benefited from many of many partnerships with a variety of stakeholders so our suppliers NGOs local governments clients and I think I already mentioned that our third-party certifications that are within the Better Tomorrow Plan, mm-hmm. like the Marine Stewardship Council and Rainforest Alliance and Fair Trade USA and Forest Stewardship Council and all of those have been really an important part of the strategy, which has also been informed uh, by folks from WWF and Ceres. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think specifically the partnerships in the markets have been really impressive. So. Our schools division has a partnership with the First Ladies Let's Move initiative, and that has reached about 120 public K-12 schools to date. And that has helped them to win national awards through the USDA's Healthier U.S. School Challenge. And and that's returning value to to the schools to help improve their wellness solutions for students. Mm -hmm. Um, We have about 150 uh, campuses that have signed the American College and University. Uh, President's Climate Commitment, the ACUPCC, 
We have 130 of our healthcare clients that have signed on to the Healthcare Without Harm, Healthier Food and Healthcare Pledge or the Healthier Hospitals Initiative. And most recently, uh, the big splash was that Sodexo Sodexo made two large announcements. One was a partnership with the Real Food Challenge, and the other was the launch of an MSC, which is the Marine Stewardship Council Chain of Custody Certification Program for our locations. And this this is that work that's largely led by the dedicated sustainability leads in each market okay, and our, and of course also the managers who are all very talented, the teams who are actually operating within the client sites and this work that they go out and do, you know, really is the part, I, I'm tremendously proud of their efforts and mm-hmm. leadership mm-hmm. Uh, because they are the ones who go out and make the, the vision a reality basically. Right, exactly. And, it, it's a it's a great demonstration of how there's such opportunity in all of these different areas, um, and the the ways in which you know partnerships can start to scale um, the impact, which I think is important to that second part of your question about how how are you going to do this at scale? Right, right, because it's just it seems so daunting. But um, I guess if if anybody has a chance of really you know, moving the needle and having an impact. It's somebody like Sodexo with, you know, as many employees as you have who, you know, can be champions for change um, as well as the sites. So, uh, so uh, um, a, an organization like the Marine Stewardship Council, do they come in and they, um, just to kind of give our listeners a, a sort of blow by blow, how, how, what do they, do they come in and they actually meet with the sustainability team and are they kind of consulting with you or how does that, how does that work? So one way in which it works is that we recognize their third-party certification as mm-hmm. one way to identify a sustainable food source within our supply chain. So okay. Sodexo, has a, Sodexo has a commitment to source 100% sustainable fish and seafood by 2015. Okay. That's a, that's a really big task. So being able to identify what is sustainable fish or seafood begins with having some kind of you know, way to identify that, and MSC is one of those ways. Okay. In terms of chain of custody, that's another process that, uh, yes, they've, they've come and they've worked with our teams at sites. Um, that allows us uh, kind of the next level of being able to promote and ensure for our customers that the fish or seafood that they are selecting that day is indeed um, from a sustainable fishery. Okay. And that's what consumers have probably become accustomed to if they've ever shopped at, say, a Whole Foods, mm-hmm. where they can see that MSC logo at the point of selection um, mm-hmm. as part of informing their decision to purchase that product or not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wow, this is terrific. Um, for those of you who are just tuning in or don't know with whom I'm speaking, because you didn't hear it at the beginning of the show, I'm speaking with Holly Fowler. She is the Senior Director of Sustainability and Corporate Social Responsibility for Sodexo North America. Um, well, let's let's talk about sort of the hope factor, positive, negative. Are you hopeful that we're going to be able to recreate healthy food systems in general? Um, do you, do you lead from optimism? I'm hoping you do, but it's you know it's t- it's <laughs> tough. Um, you know when you talk about sustainable fish and seafood, and then you read all the facts and realize that like 75 percent of our fish ha- are you know over overfished. Our fish you know reserves are overfished. It's it's daunting. Um, t- tell us yeah. tell us how you feel. Um, I, yeah, I kind of feel like being an internal optimist is a prerequisite to taking on a role like this. <laughs> Uh, so I have to think that we'll get there uh, by 
by carrot or by stick mm-hmm. or some combination thereof, I think we're going to see radical changes to do. I don't think that it comes without compromise um, or sacrifice in some cases, but mm-hmm. the the environmental, economic, and social health risks are just too great for nothing to change. Something's going to have to change. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the longer change takes, the more radical it will have to be, mm-hmm. basically, is kind of the, the equation of things. Um, and, you know, institutions and individuals have a responsibility and each is empowered in its own way. So it's not to say that everyone can do everything, but every, you know, anyone can do something. Right. And so I think it's, you know, in, in terms of a realistic approach, people can be paralyzed by thinking that they have to do everything or change everything at once. Right. And really the most important thing is to decide to make a change, start, get going, and then add others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. When you think of something like, um, meat consumption, though, for instance, how do we get people to to eat less meat? It's hard. Like carnivores are real carnivores. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a million my, dollar my question. Dad is one of them. <laughs> yes, I am familiar with this group, um, and I and I remain an omnivore myself. Right, as, um, as do I. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it, it is tough. It's a, it's individual change, and you know maybe the. Uh, maybe that particular meat eater is also driving a Prius. We don't know. Well, right, um, exactly. You know, trying to there. There are certainly uh, there are certainly different ways to uh, approach reducing your at least your your carbon impact as a as a person. But it's it's going to be a test of what the environment can support. Yeah, I think I think um, you know certainly living in in New England, we are intimate with. Um, the challenge of wanting to continue to provide fisher uh, men and women with a livelihood right. um, in a way that also doesn't compromise our ability to sustain that livelihood for a very long time. Right. Exactly. And that's a huge debate. And, you know, it's going to be some combination of the factors of what the environment can support, what the economy uh, can support. And what social health can support. I mean, some folks are going to come to change because it starts to impact them very personally. Food is very personal. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and health is uh, a very large issue for, for folks in terms of how fulfilling a life they can lead, mm-hmm. but also how, how they can afford to live um, given right. health care costs. And so it's likely that the majority of change for an individual will happen when it becomes somehow very personal to them, yeah, that a change is required. Um, I'm hoping that you know regulation and corporate leadership can continue to kind of make change at a more accelerated and larger scale right. um, to make it easier when those individuals are ready to make their behavior change adaption. Hmm. That's that's a very interesting and very important point. Absolutely. Well, we've run out of time, and uh, I could talk to you forever about this stuff. <laughs> it goes so quickly. <laughs> it goes so quickly. I know, but I thank you so much for um, spending you know your your afternoon with us, and I know our listeners really uh, really enjoyed it. So I appreciate it, Holly. Thank you, Chrissy. It was a pleasure. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Okay, Small Dog Electronics is a Nature of Business sponsor. 
and they are also your local independent Apple specialist. Small Dog Electronics offers all things Apple with a commitment to customer service, Apple authorized technical support, and business consulting solutions. Small Dog's Apple certified technicians will support you before, during, and after the sale for Apple products both in and out of warranty. Check out their Apple certified service and retail location at the Mall of New Hampshire in Manchester or at smalldog.com. That's smalldog.com. Small Dog Electronics, always always by your side. Nature of Business is also brought to you by the Energy Law Group at Downs Racklin Martin PLLC, a full-service law firm with six offices in northern New England. DRM's energy team provides the complete menu of legal services to assist commercial renewable energy clients with project development, financing, siting, and regulatory approvals. For more information, log on to drm.com. We will be right back. <laughs> 